0: Welcome to the Modern Law Library. I'm your host, the ABA Journal's Lee Rawls, and today I'm joined by author Hainan Landa, author of The Modern Law Firm, How to Thrive in an Era of Rapid Technological Change. Hainan, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Well, thanks very much for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So we've done a lot of social issues recently as episodes of this Modern Law Library, and I wanted to make sure that my listeners also had some practical advice. And when your book came up, I thought, oh, this is a great one. I also like to have authors read a passage of their book if they feel comfortable with that. And I thought that your passage explaining why you decided to write this would be perfect. Would you mind doing that for us?
1: I would love to. Here goes. Let me get my reading voice out. Law firm leaders come to me frustrated, overwhelmed, and anxious. They have practices full of brilliant, hardworking people. They've accumulated years of success and accolades. They are steadfastly devoted to the success of their firms and are doing everything in their power to ensure a bright and profitable future. But they can see trouble brewing, and it all comes down to technology. I founded my outsourced technology firm, Optimal Networks, in 1991. Back then, providing technology support to law firms meant sending a network engineer to your offices once a month to check your servers, swap out your backup tapes, and give your secretary a hand with some glitch in WordPerfect. Technology played an important but small role in the firm's overall operations, meaning that my company played an important but small role in the firm's overall success. Fast forward to 2015. A law firm reached out to me for help. Thanks to a poorly architected cloud solution and equally poor support, they were losing $100,000 in billable time each and every month. Their clients were quickly losing patience with the firm's inability to provide responsive service. To top it off, the attorneys were so sick of fighting against their technology, having to devise their own workarounds and falling behind on their work, that firm morale had reached an all-time low. This firm was now looking to me to help them recover their revenue, mend their reputation, and prevent their people from walking out the door. Their business was in jeopardy as a direct result of their technology, and improving their technology would be their only saving grace. That's why I'm writing this book. Technology now plays a central, dominant role in how we live and how we do business. It can single-handedly bring an otherwise healthy law firm to the brink of failure. And on the flip side, it can empower firms to achieve a level of success that its leaders might not have thought possible. My goal is to provide your firm with the clarity and the tools to do the latter.
0: What I really enjoyed about this book was that you're not just giving a list of products. You're asking firms to decide on what their particular goals and current capabilities are. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your process when you are writing this book, who you decided to aim this at, and why you chose that approach.
1: Well, I feel that law firms—not all of them, of course—but many are, are very conservative in their approach to technology, um, and rightfully so because. Law firms want to mitigate risk. They mitigate risk for their clients. They need to mitigate risk for themselves. And if you get too far out on the bleeding edge of technology, it hurts. So I think the common ground between technologists and law firms and lawyers is really the business side of things. So I honed in on, can we look at the business goals? Can we put aside all the technology stuff that probably drives lawyers insane? <laughs> and can we, can we see, what are we trying to achieve? And then once we decide on that, there's lots of different technology that you can take and plug in to, to achieve those business goals. We'll do the one that's right for you. And so that's, that's usually my approach to technology in general, and I wanted to bring it out in the book, and I wanted to make it a lot less intimidating.
0: And speaking of being less intimidating, I thought that uh, the quiz that you have in the book to help readers decide what their goals are and what their current status is, was really helpful. Could you describe a little bit what that process would be like if I was a mid-sized law firm member picking up this book? What are you asking people to consider?
1: So what we did was we took a look at what high-performing firms, when it comes to technology, what they look like. And we looked at 14 different traits of technology from security to day-to-day operations to implementing projects all the different things that you need to do not only to run your technology successfully inside your firm but to also lean forward with technology and continue to move the technology of the firm forward to both better your operations and improve the client experience and we said what is a good what is a good performing firm look like what is a high performing firm look like and We outlined, for each one of those 14 traits, we outlined the things that those high-performing firms do in their their operations. And we said, hey, here you go. It's a list of these things that they do. Check off the ones that you do, right? And by doing that, it really gives you like an automatic to-do list because you know that you see what you're not doing and it gives you some gaps to fill. And you can also rate yourself, you rate your your technology operational maturity level by going through this quiz. And so you can get a baseline and you can get a list of things to improve your score. And it's not meant to overwhelm anyone. It's meant to say, here's where we are. Now let's start carefully, slowly, methodically moving up this pyramid and get our maturity level higher and higher.
0: And I liked that word choice, that this is a maturity level, because right. I think people feel daunted when they think of themselves as just, you know, oh, I'm at the the beginning stages. But no, this is a process and you're going to mm-hmm. get there and they take mm-hmm. a little bit of time if you're on the earlier end. Exactly. So has that been kind of a response from readers that you've seen? Maybe it's almost reassuring because it's not this giant unknown. There are actual steps that they can follow.
1: Yeah, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about this tool, Uh, so much so that we've actually started incorporating it into our consulting practice in my firm and to try to take one of these traits every month and just start moving us forward, moving our clients forward a little bit. So I love it. (laughs) And
0: speaking of clients, basically one of the major things that you are asking readers to think about is rather than thinking about technology as Well, here are the cables we plug in. Here are the tools we buy. You're asking them to think about how they provide exceptional customer service. And I don't know that that is necessarily the mindset a lot of people approach, uh, particularly lawyers, when they think about their clients. They think of their clients, but they don't necessarily think about customer service. Is that an attitude you've noticed? What do you encourage your clients to think about? in terms of providing customer service?
1: To me, it's really the central thrust of the book because what I'm seeing is the progression of the change of technology. So the pace that technology is changing is going faster and faster and faster. Now, we all got hit really hard and really fast with you know, the pandemic, and we all had to rush home. And Microsoft CEO even said, hey, we've just seen... What would normally take two years of technology adoption happen in two months, which is interesting because I think it was true. But we've been seeing that rate of technology change increase over the past 20 years exponentially. And so what this means is that technology is becoming more and more instrumental in everything to do with how a law firm serves its clients and how clients find new law firms and their ability to find many law firms because all the barriers are gone. You can you can work with a law firm anywhere in the country. You can work with a, um you know, you don't you don't have to go to a law firm and go see their beautiful office anymore. You know, there's a lot that now has become digital, aka technological. And so so what I what I was trying to get across was let's let's put aside this idea that Technology is a cost center. we got to minimize it. I mean, certainly it's good to minimize costs. But let's look at technology as an enabler for better customer service, meaning helping your clients find you better, You know, better website, better web journey, better reviews online, better all that, all the journey, which it was literally before the pandemic, it was two-thirds of the buyer's journey was online before they even picked up the phone to call you. Now I'm sure it's even more because we're all just sitting here in front of our computers, right? To the 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 rest of that journey and the actual client experience because if I work with you, you're my lawyer, we have a great experience together, you know, I you're in my Slack channels, we're working together on on um different matters. Why would I go anywhere else? And why won't I tell all my friends about you? All my colleagues about you? And that's really what you're trying to generate. So Yeah, I don't don't know if that that was too specific, but. (laughs) It's not too specific.
0: I think it's great. You know, when you talk about communication with clients, I think that is a real stumbling block for a lot of attorneys. My father retired from the law in, I think, 2014. But over his 40-year career, he said the biggest change was, you know, when a client contacted you when he first started in the 60s or 70s and let's say it was Friday morning, you gave yourself a few days to think about the matter, to write one, two, maybe three drafts of a paper letter with your paralegal or assistant, and then you sent it out. And that is not the response time that any of us are used to receiving from any of our services now. And I think that that was a huge change. This expectation that I be able to contact you and hear back from you quickly. Can you talk about any experiences you've had with attorneys who were more used to that slower pace and being able to deliberate and think about their response? And now they're facing this expectation by their clients that they be, you know, accessible essentially, if not 24 seven, then pretty close to it.
1: Yeah. And, um, I'll talk about the accessibility first and then I'll go into the responsiveness just to mess with your flow here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the um, one thing I talk about in the book is to make sure that you have the ability to be accessible 24-7, but it's your choice, right? I I do not think anyone needs to be on call 24-7. I, that, that would be really a difficult undertaking. But if you're standing in line getting groceries and you want to reply to an email because you're bored, or you, your client needs you, you should be able to do that, right? And that's, that is sort of the level of mobility and accessibility that I, I, I want you to have as an attorney. In terms of the responsiveness, I can give you some examples. I'll also just start by saying, we're all consumers, right? We all see like, We want food. We click a couple buttons on our food and then we watch the restaurant make it on our phone. And then we watch the Uber driver go and pick it up and we watch them deliver it to us. And when they are 10 minutes late, are we pissed? We're (laughs) pissed, right? We wanted it 10 minutes ago when you said you were going to give it to us. So yeah, there is just an overall, our entire culture has become much more oriented towards instant gratification and instant response. You know, what I've seen is when you have attorneys that are still working in more traditional ways, when the only way you can work with an attorney is via email or via paper mail, it becomes strange. And my personal experience is that, so my attorney now is very happy to get into my my Slack channels. And, you know, you can do this. You can become a guest in your client Slack or your or Teams or or whatever, and we actually do this with our clients too. So if I have a legal question, anything, client, vendor, employee, whatever, whatever question is is bugging me, it takes me about three seconds to jump in and pop off a message to him. And he's very responsive. And I feel like he's part of my organization. And that's a completely different feeling. Because that's why? Because that's the kind of communication I have with everyone else in my organization, right? And it's a completely different thing then if I had to send an email and wait a few hours, wait a day to get that same answer, I'm already onto a million different things. And so to me, that I'm not saying everyone's got to do that. I'm just giving you an example of different response times and saying it really is sort of gratifying and makes me very connected to my attorney now as opposed to before feeling that they're really an outside entity that I have to consult on a formal basis.
0: Now you mentioned that uh, lawyers tend to be cautious creatures. And I know, you know, certainly communicating with attorneys day in and day out, like I do as an editor for the ABA journal, I sometimes still get emails where there is, I feel like 800 words of fine print at the bottom of the email signature saying confidential, et cetera, et cetera. And, So I can just picture in my mind one of my attorney listeners out there going, but if I don't have disclaimers on an email, you know, is this safe? Am I opening myself up to endangering confidentiality? All these concerns that an attorney has when it comes to trying new methods of communication, what should they consider? What is reasonable to worry about when it comes to maintaining client confidentiality and security and communications, and what is really going kind of overboard?
1: It is a great point. And in no way do I mean to minimize that with what I'm saying. And every every communication channel that you as a law firm or as an attorney take with your clients and with your prospective clients, you do need to analyze it and make sure it is safe. Having said that, I see a general general movement towards different types of instant messaging different types of texting and and these other applications and i think part of it is that you have a way to download those conversations if you want and put them in your records and make sure you've got them on file i think that's important and i think a secondary consideration has to do with the actual security of these of these different applications you know you might feel a little less comfortable with facebook and a little more comfortable with a corporate application like Teams. So, yes, definitely do the research. Definitely talk to your IT folks, your security folks. Make, you know, I'm not suggesting by any stretch that anyone do anything willy-nilly, you know. We should really think these through very methodically. And it's not the first time that this has come up that there does seem to be a little bit of tension between serving the client where the client is quickly fast and this, this cautiousness and about security and privacy. But you can get through those things, and you can find the right technology that will help you achieve what it is you want to achieve. I am 100% convinced it's out there and that it's you can implement it, and it will change your life with your clients.
0: And you know, we already talked about the quiz that you have available in the book for people to take to sort of gauge where I am, where I need to consider going in the future to mature my practice, I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk about the four pillars that you outlined. So what are the four pillars? What are they holding up? What is this concept?
1: (laughs) The pillars are the pillars of exceptional customer service, right? Or exceptional client service. And these are the four And I don't know. We're IT people, so we try to do everything in uh, numerics. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a 14-point model, and there's four pillars. And these are what, what I've come up with as the key elements of customer service, right? How can you have great, amazing customer service that's memorable, that's referable? The first one is called responsiveness. It's responsiveness. It's how quickly can you respond to the client? But also, how intelligently and flexibly can you respond to the client, right? I mean, these things are are all interwoven. The second pillar has to do with expertise. And it's, first of all, understanding that it's not just knowing the law, but it's, it's really becoming the trusted business advisor to your client, or the trusted advisor to your client, even if it's not a business client. Um, it's more than just the law. But expertise, if you're in a firm especially, means not just bringing yourself, but being able to bring the collective knowledge of your firm to the table when it's necessary. Um, I'll give you a, a quick example. If there was a matter that I wanted to talk to my attorney about, like let's say a merger or an acquisition, and he was able to quickly, quickly right? Instant messaging, whatever have you. Reach out to the partner in his firm in charge of mergers and acquisitions and get them on a conversation with me. That is expertise and that is responsiveness all brought together.
0: Yeah, because you don't want your client that you feel you've already brought into your fold just Googling mergers and acquisitions for themselves and seeing who's out there doing it. Exactly.
1: And by the way, that also applies to uh, a compendium of knowledge of your firm right so many firms that have document management systems that have all of their agreements and pleadings and everything in this document management system you can quickly bring that to bear when you're writing a new agreement for a, a client and that is much faster and that's what i expect these days you know no need to reinvent the wheel and charge me another you know weeks worth of work <laughs> the third pillar is results and I think this is a very interesting one because it has to do with quantifying the results that you're actually bringing to the table to a client. So I have, a, I have an attorney who, over the 30 years of my business, the few times that I have had any sort of acrimonious situation with a client, maybe they're not paying or something like that, I've gone to him and I said, please help me. He has a 100% hit rate with me, win rate. win rate. Everything I give him, he wins. I don't care which way it goes. It's amazing to me. And I will tell you that I will never go to anyone else for these types of things because I know that if I hand him something, he's going to win. And let's talk about win and your
0: definition as a client of win. Because you as an attorney may look at what a client's request is and say, reasonably, what you are asking I can achieve this outcome for you. How do you make sure you are communicating clearly to your client that that is a win, that is a, a good result? It's it's what was reasonably, ex, you know, something that they could expect out of this encounter.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely setting expectations up front and agreeing on what a successful result would be, right? And then tracking it. So I think I think results are a a really wonderful pillar of of customer service that is uh, not talked about very often, but very, very critical.
0: Could you talk about, in your experience, uh, an example or two of a way that a firm was able to communicate that to their clients? Here are the results that we have achieved for you.
1: I think I'd like to see it more because the, the, <laughs> what, I was about to, what I was about to finish was to tell you that I don't think my attorney knows that he has a 100% win rate with me. Oh, wow. I really don't know that he does. I don't know if he knows that I hold him in such high regard over these things. And maybe that's just my the way I mentally catalog things. But I believe that more firms could do this, you know, and more firms could really have a better understanding of the value they're delivering to their clients and make sure their clients understand it too.
0: I wonder if then firms should be considering at year end not just, you know, which Harry and David gift tower do we send to our clients to show them we appreciate their business, but how do we communicate to them what we've
1: achieved for them this year? I think it would be a wonderful a wonderful idea to be discussed, right? And to make sure it goes through everyone's filters on whether it's appropriate and how to do it and whether it's, uh, but I, I do believe that there is the results that, Lawyers and law firms bring to their clients are phenomenal, and I I really it's one of the reasons I love working with lawyers, right? Because they're they're highly capable, wonderful people that um, bring so much, and um, I think that's worth tracking, and I think that's worth talking about.
0: And I've sort of derailed you a little bit, but let's get <laughs> to we've we've gotten to pillar
1: three of results. What's pillar four? And pillar four is innovation, and this is a very interesting pillar because this is the one that lets you lean into the technology change that's going on and the accelerating pace of technology change and it lets you lean into that technology change in two ways one is what technologies can i bring in to my practice that will make me more operationally efficient make my firm more operationally efficient so i can deliver better service to my clients number 2 what New technologies are coming down the pike, perhaps that are relevant to my clients, that I might want to develop into a practice area and be on the forefront of something big with my clients and be known as that expert and give them that extra level of service that no one else is giving them.
0: I love number two, because certainly a topic that our readers are always interested in is what are the new niche practices, where are the new practice areas or jobs in 2021. How have you seen attorneys be able to keep on top of that
1: sort of thing? So I think all this has to be done intentionally. This is how this kind of dovetails into the assessment, the operational maturity level, right, is how are you keeping it on on top of this? And I've seen it done through having a CIO hired, who's tasked with this type of responsibility. I've, I've seen it done with external CIOs who are tasked with this responsibility. I've seen it done with peer groups. I've seen it done with you know, subscribing to newsletter services uh, to keep you abreast of what's happening in your client's industries. It, it, it's just a question of, are you going to put in place some sort of a system and put someone make someone accountable? To getting that information into your brain, so you can choose, you can make the decision. Yes, I want to learn more about Bitcoin, <laughs> <laughs> or, I, or I, I want to learn more about you know the different types of litigation that are going to happen with autom- autonomously piloted cars. Okay, I mean I'm, I'm making things up, but there are big legal fields coming out of these advances in technology, and you know maybe there's something there.
0: You know what? I think podcasts are probably a pretty good way to to keep it track of some Absolutely. of these. Absolutely.
1: A podcast yeah. is wonderful. Yeah.
0: Shameless plug.
1: Shameless and a <laughs> wonderful plug. Worth it.
0: <laughs> One response you may get from someone is that sounds great, but a CIO for a firm of 30 people, you know that oh that sounds more like a you know, AMLA 250 thing, is that outside of my capabilities. But one of the things you point out is that this is scalable. You know, you can mm. look at, okay, well, you're not, you know, you don't have 3000 employees and an international firm, but you don't have to do the very high end of this. You can, you can make it scalable. So when you talk to attorneys who do have kind of that fear factor of, oh, but are we even big enough to consider this, What is one of the, what are some of the things that you want them to consider?
1: Uh, so the answer is yes. You're, every single one of you is big enough to consider this in in one way or another. And it doesn't mean you have to have a, a CIO. It, de- it depends on the size of, of your firm. If you want to contract for this, uh, there are contract CIOs. Services available, or whether you just want to do it yourself, you could go to a client conference and attend a technology session there. It would take an hour, or you could subscribe to uh, your clients. Like you said, the podcasts are wonderful. You know, subscribe to a podcast in your client industry. Subscribe to a podcast in the legal industry that talks about technology. Get some sort of some sort of input. I've seen clients, uh, many of my clients have a technology committee and they meet on a monthly basis and they bring to each other various perspectives and various thoughts that they hear at their clients, right? And that's a great way to share some information. It, it, it doesn't require a lot of money. And if you want to implement something, you know, that's, a, that's another decision. If you want to create a practice area, that's another decision, right? That will probably require investment. But that's, I, I guess what I'm recommending here is, Find some way to stay in touch with technology. Don't assume that it's going to stay the same. It's not. It's not. We may have had a huge boost here during the coronavirus. I promise you it's going to be different next year. It goes pretty quickly these days. And it's just, it's not stopping. It's accelerating.
0: I think that there are plenty of attorneys out there where if you tried to use Zoom as a verb to them, uh, in January 2020, they wouldn't have understood your meaning the way they do now. And now people are appearing remotely before the Supreme Court of the United States. Right. So,
1: right. It's, and 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 that's not going to stop. Right. That's there's we we expect that some level of zooming once everything gets back to normal will continue because it's so efficient.
0: Truly, I, I definitely has changed uh, my work life. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you developed this book, and it's it's not a super long one. It's it's got great tools in it, but I was able to you know take two afternoons and and really finish it. But I can't imagine this was quite the way you thought it would be entering the world. I bet you thought that there would be you know, maybe you could do a book tour or, or be attending <laughs> conferences and hand this out at them. So could you talk a little bit about what that's been like as an author to develop this this book, this tool, and then try and figure out a way to distribute it during COVID times?
1: It has been different. Many of the things that I did expect, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Those things that I was thinking about did not come to pass. In fact, I I was very much planning to go speak at conferences and I was very much planning to have some book signings and perhaps some wine and cheese along with those, but n- none of that happened. So uh, really it's been an effort, uh, a more of a digital effort, which was interesting. So the book, I, I actually produced it in just about every format that exists. It's in Kindle and it's It's in hardback and softback. And I also had a a wonderful time putting together the Audible version of it. So I made sure that it was available in every digital format. I sent it out to as many attorneys and firm administrators as I knew. And I'm still, that's an ongoing effort. So um, that really is. I was very gratified that in the first uh, couple of weeks, it actually hit the top of uh, one of the Amazon bestseller lists. So that was fun. You know, the other good thing about it is right now it's still quite timeless. It's it's a timely book. So I still think I may have I'm, I may be able to do that book signing that I have really wanted to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. And for my listeners, I, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but you know, you aren't going through necessarily specific software advice or hardware right. advice. You're talking about what should your thought process behind selecting some of these tools. So if my listeners were interested in picking up the modern law firm, how to thrive in an era of rapid technological change in any one of these various formats, uh, what could they do? Where should they go? Do you have a website or or email address that they could reach out to you at? Oh, like
1: another shameless plug? Yes, please. This is the time for it at the end. Thank you. So I have a website called modernlawfirmbook.com. And so that website, not only does it give you links to every place else you can get it, which is, you know, mostly Amazon. And um, you can uh, also take that uh, assessment online. Uh, so if you want to try try your hand at it right there online, you can do that. It'll uh, give you your result and your operational maturity level. And there's also explanatory videos and things there. So modernlawfirmbook.com. And anyone who wants to email me directly, I'd love to hear from them. It's hlanda at optimal networks.com.
0: Well, Hainan, thank you so much for joining us. Yet again, the book is The Modern Law Firm, How to Thrive in an Era of Rapid Technological Change by Hainan Landa. And thank you to my listeners for joining us for this episode of The Modern Law Library. If you enjoyed, please rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcast listening service. And if you've had a book recently that you think you'd love to hear from the author about and have us discuss on our show, you can
1: reach us at Books at abajournal.com.